that actually we all have a liturgy. We all have an order of elements. So as I said earlier, my liturgy for my quiet time is was prayer, Bible reading, prayer. Mm-hmm. And actually, that's probably most people's liturgy. And <clears throat> so it's not whether you'll have a liturgy. It's just which liturgy you're going to have. Yeah. So <clears throat> maybe for your listeners who are sort of broadly evangelical, coming from free evangelical churches, I think it's helpful to think actually every church has a liturgy. It's just which liturgy it's going to have. Welcome to the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast featuring Peter Bell and Nick Fulweiler. This is a show about Christian doctrine for everyone from the historic Reformed tradition delivered by two friends in an unscripted dialogue. Join us as we discuss how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Hello, everyone. Yet once again, it's another day of fresh grace and mercy. This is the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast, where we bridge the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. Today is a book club episode from our good friends at Crossway Publishers, and it will be with Jonathan Gibson on his new book, Be Thou My Vision, a liturgy for daily worship. And it's a devotional, a daily devotional, and we'll go through that here in a minute. If you go to our show notes, you can click the link to Crossway and get a copy of this book for yourselves. And uh, there's also some other links, as always. There's one to the Society of Reformed Podcasters. That's a group of other like-minded Reformed podcasts that we are a member of. There's also some information to become a bridge builder and a local church finder. So you can click that link, type in your zip code, and find the closest reformed church near you so yeah we'll jump right in and talk to dr gibson about his devotional here how are yeah, you how's it going good thanks thanks for having me on again yeah absolutely yeah so those those who are listening to this when it comes out this is two days after his uh wither episode so we like them so much we double booked them <laughs> so how's it how's it feel to be on the same show we're there seeing it two days but this is like a week and a half after after yeah. we've uh, after we last talked, I feel like a celebrity. Yeah. <laughs> right. We always we're always not sure to like congratulate our guests who are back for a second time. We're like, man, you stooped so low, you came back on our show again. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. No, but no, this is a uh, this is kind of a different book club episode. We're talking about before recording. Um, yeah. uh, it is. I don't think we've ever done a devotional before. No. We'll ask him, you know, what even a devotional is. And what's, what's so different about this than other devotionals out there? And maybe a little background of what, what got you to write this or put this together. Yeah, so uh, let me start with why I put it together, how it came about. Um, as uh, we all remember 2020 when we went into lockdowns yep. across the world, I uh, became quite reflective about my own quiet times or daily devotions or whatever it is you call it, depending on your church background or family history. Um, And for me, my quiet times was basically, I would, uh, I'd read, I'd say a quick prayer before I would read a portion of the Bible. And then after that, I would sort of fire off some petitions. Hmm. You know, I'd try to have some adoration in there as well. But generally, it was a 
quick prayer, Lord, speak to me now as I open your word and read the Bible and then make some requests based on what I'd read, but also just needs that I knew that were coming up for family or church or life. And uh, I became sort of dissatisfied with that and thinking it's very bland and boring. I find myself distracted a lot. And I'm sure like most people, I find praying hard work. And so I was sort of wandering in my prayers, repeating the same things over and over. Um, and so at the same time, a friend in Sydney, uh, Mark Ernji, who I'd done the book Reformation Worship with, Liturgies from the Past for the Present, uh, he told me that he's an Anglican minister and he'd been asked by his denomination, Sydney Diocese, to put together a, a little uh, daily liturgy for families and churches. Huh. Uh, during lockdown in Sydney, the Archbishop had, uh, commissioned him and another minister to do that. So he did that. And then he said to me, he said, it's been a real hit with families and churches being able to worship at home during lockdown. Uh, what do you think about doing one together? Something like that. And I said, yeah, okay. I wasn't that enthusiastic about it to begin with. <laughs> and he, he and I said, right, okay. And then long story short, he ended up pulling out of it because he was so busy. And uh, I took it in a slightly different direction. So that's that's where it came from. And because we'd done the book on Reformation worship, I worked through 26 liturgies from the Reformation. And I was struck by their richness. Their services were not just like a two-hymn sandwich. You know, sing a hymn, prayer, sermon, hymn, closing prayer. Uh, they, they were far richer with things like the Ten Commandments being read, apostles nicene or athanasian creeds being said the lord's prayer and then a bunch of other praise elements like doxologies and gloria patri and things like that so i thought to myself well what about actually incorporating some of those things into my quiet time so i put together a seven day one week schedule and i put in a prayers of adoration confession illumination intercession added in some creeds, apostles, Nicene, Athanasian creeds. I put the Lord's Prayer in every day in modern English and had a few other things. And then I, I took the McSheehan Bible reading plan, or I was working through the Psalms at the time, so I just kept reading through the Psalms each day. And I, I found my, I did that for a week, made it all up, and then kept doing it over and over. And I just found myself far more engaged, far more concentrated, and then I extrapolated that out from seven days to 31 days. So it would be a, um, uh, a month long. <clears throat> and then I started thinking, you know, this, my wife, Jackie, and I were doing it uh, as a family on holiday uh, with our son, Ben, and Zach and Hannah. And it was useful on holiday. We don't do it ourselves every day. It's a bit heavy for young family, but... Jackie said she'd really enjoyed it. So I started thinking about how I could get it published or used for other people. So that's how it came about. Cool. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's, and that's, we, we both, we've been looking through it, kind of thumbing through it. And we know some, some people who are really interested in this. Um, but so it's it, like Nick said, it's, it's kind of different from like just the opening up a devotional, getting a verse and some like some stuff, some lines, a paragraph, whatever it is, maybe expounding on it, giving you some application. Um, but if you can kind of go through like, what's, what, what's different about this versus other mm. devotional, somebody can pick up from Zondervan or, or Crossway or anything else that, 
that kind of maybe in a, in a sense sets us apart as, as being different and distinctive? I think what makes it distinctive is I basically thought of a mini liturgy that would be similar to a church service that is then used for your quiet time. So uh, in this case, uh, let me just give you the elements, the main order, yeah. which is the same every day, but yep, different yep. content, uh, a call to worship. So I have older New Testament texts each day, just a verse or two, uh, he, as God calls us to worship through his word, a prayer of adoration, 31 prayers from church history. Mm-hmm. You say the reading of the law, I have seven different scripture readings like the 10 commandments uh jesus saying the great commandment and the second Mm -hmm. commandment and some other commandments on loving god and loving others so those are seven readings of the law which is really god's will for our lives then i have prayers a prayer of confession 31 of those for the month um and that's drawn from church history i should say each of the prayers there's four prayers adoration confession illumination and intercession and all four of those every day is a prayer from church history. Mm. So if you're familiar with the Valley of vision book, the the prayer book of Puritan, it's really like that, but not ordered thematically like that book is, but actually ordered into a daily liturgy with adoration, confession, illumination, intercession, prayers. So I have prayers like that. So it goes reading of the law, confession, then an assurance of pardon, which is what we have in church. When you confess your sins, you hear the gospel from an older and New Testament text. Yeah. And again, I alternate those over 31 days. Then I do a creed. So having heard God assure us of forgiveness in the gospel, it's a good thing to reaffirm what it is we believe about the gospel and about the God of the gospel. And so I have the Apostles' Creed one day, Nicene Creed another day, then Athanasian Creed for three days in a row, like three parts of it, mm-hmm. then back to the Nicene Creed, then the Apostles' Creed. So that's one week. It's like a chiasm for those who like that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's cool. Yeah, those Old Testament guys are, are freaking out. They're like, oh my yeah. gosh, a chiasm. I know, I know. And, uh, and then after the creed, there's a praise element where it's two versions of the Gloria Patri. Glory be to God the Father, yeah. and to the Son, the Holy Spirit. And then I put in a catechism. I thought, what if I'd always wanted myself to work through the Heidelberg and the oh, yeah. catechisms in a sort of more disciplined manner, because it's hard to read those things in just one sitting. Uh, it's just so much information. So I thought, let me take one question a day. Hmm. And uh, so I did Heidelberg and then shorter catechism. And then I thought, oh, if this is going to be something that people use over a year, so it's 31 days to get repeated over a year, I thought it'd be really nice if I could get catechism questions that would work into a year. Hmm. Well, when I added up the 129 questions of the yeah. Heidelberg, <laughs> yeah. followed by 107 of the Western, <laughs> yeah. followed by 129 of the Heidelberg. It's just a couple, yeah, just some couple questions. Day, just randomly, yeah. I find it was 365 days exactly. Wow. Isn't that, yeah, so isn't that crazy? It was just, and I thought, yeah, you know, this That's is the perfect. Real, this is the will of the Lord. It's right. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. This has been implanted in his, his mind, eternity past. And then Jonathan Gibson puts it down on okay. paper. Yeah. He's like, uh, finally, someone had it. Yeah. This it is, out. I've been doing this for 500 years. Somebody finally figured it out. I know. At that point, an angel appeared and there was a vision of <laughs> yeah, Zachariah right. or Sinus. You know, exactly. I, I communed with Sinus for a moment. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
Um, exactly. so, after, so it's one catechism question a day. And then after that, it's a prayer of illumination. I've got lovely uh, seven, which I think are really lovely illumination prayers from different liturgies, Middleburg, some from Calvin, from um, uh, George Herbert and, yep. and others. So really lovely prayers of hmm. asking God to speak to us as we open his word. Then obviously the scripture reading and at the back of the book, you can go to the McShane reading yep. plan and i should say that catechism questions are at the back of the book so hence the reason for the three ribbons one ah. ribbon one ribbon for the day you're in another ribbon for yeah. the catechism question oh gotcha okay and yeah another ribbon for the <clears throat> bible reading and i'm sure a lot of people right now are like that's why there's three ribbons uh, in this yeah, book. Yeah. <laughs> a nice color there's uh, gold red and green, green yeah red and gold so that's right and um so, you know, if you do, well, let me finish off with the last few elements. So after scripture reading is a prayer of intercession. Again, 31 prayers drawn from church history over the 31 days. And then I've got a section where it just says further petition, personal church or world. And that's where it's over to the individual to pray themselves <clears throat> and not just repeat other prayers, but mm. actually pray their own prayers. And then it ends with the Lord's Prayer. So altogether, that might feel like an awful lot for a quiet time. <laughs> exactly, yet, yeah. Interestingly, it's just 15 to 20 minutes, and huh, that huh. includes one, reading one chapter of the Bible. Really? Yeah. It's a lot shorter than you would think it is. Yeah. I, I remember thinking myself, oh, this is going to be way too long. But I find myself, you know, you, you sort of clip through it quite quickly, not rushing it, but 15 minutes, and then you add five minutes for your Bible reading. Yeah. So I find it's 20 minutes. I'm I'm done, which, you know, I think that's a good time each day to try yeah. to commit. Whereas I'd find previously I was like five minutes with a few prayers, seven minutes, like yeah. get this done, get I need to move on. So as as I say, people listening may think, oh, that's an awful lot, but it really is just 15 to 20 minutes. And again, my own experience with that is I find myself far more concentrated less distracted hmm. and i'm sort of i feel like i'm being led in worship um so as you know and as you see in the book there's a little red rubric sentence yep sort of introduces each um, worship element so the element called to worship says hear god call you to worship through his word and then there's a bible verse or reading of the law hear god's law as his will for your uh, life yeah and then there's the reading of the law. So it's it's meant to feel a little interactive, like someone's leading you yep, yep. in worship. Um yeah, so that's those are the that's the content. Yeah. Really. Yeah, I was gonna ask too, uh what well, you you answered one of my questions like about how long would it take per day to mm. do this? And so 15, 20 minutes. I think we all have 15, 20 minutes to do that. Um in your experience, like, well, it's prescribed to do um, every month. So like there's 31 of them, but then you start over on the next month. So mm -hmm. you'll have to like, let me know what you do with those extra days on those short months, like February and ones that only have 30 days. But yeah. before we get there, um, what's some helpful advice? I know a lot of people probably are feeling like, oh, devotional is a great idea. They probably try it for 
maybe they get a few days in a row in a weekend and then it just falls by the wayside. They don't know when to do it. They don't know how to do it. They've never, no one's ever coached them on a devotional. Is there any helpful feedback on that? So uh, let me answer the when question, when to do it. Uh, I am going to just speak from personal experience. (laughs) I'm not a morning person. So Hmm. for me to set the alarm, and this is maybe reflects just a lack of discipline, but (laughs) I'm going to be practical. I've got three kids, two very young ones at home, twins nearly. So for me to get up an hour early before they get up, I mean, they'd hear me get up. And so the day would just begin as soon as I get up. So I don't read my Bible and do this. As soon as I get up, I get up, I help with the kids. I exercise in the morning and then I go to Westminster to teach. And if I've got an eight o'clock class, I teach it. And then at nine o'clock I get back to my office and that's when I'll open this Mm. up and, and do it. So the, when I, I say to people, you've got to find what works for you. You know, some people do shift work and so they're changing their routine every three days. I just say to people, find a time in the day where you think, right, before I do anything else, uh, I'm going to do my devotion. And so for me, it's like get breakfast out of the way, uh, get my first class out of the way, and then I can get going. Other days I don't have classes. I'll get up help with the kids exercise and then I do it and then I get working for the day. So <clears throat> that that's my routine. Others will find it's at nighttime. That's, that's when they find they can find that quiet 20 minutes to just be uh, time devoted to the Lord. That's undistracted. So someone else, it might be their work lunchtime where they, they're on their own. They can just do something like this in their lunchtime. So find what works for you, but be disciplined about it and, if you don't plan to do it, you won't do it. So if you just think, right, I'll just find some time later in the day to do my devotion, it never happens. Mm. You've got to have a discipline that I will do this before I do something today. So that's the first thing. Um, so when to do it and then what to do. Well, uh, again, I'm not saying this is the only way to do it, but I find the sort of daily bread readings that I was brought up on this random verse a day when I was a you know, younger, it was, was helpful. I, I loved Spurgeon's morning and evening, but it was just a run, a, a different verse every day, nothing sequential. Then I got into Don Carson's for the love of God and reading yep. the Sheehan Bible plan. Yep. I really liked that. Um, but then his, his devotion material was another meditation on top of reading four chapters so I find that after I did that for a couple of years, but then find that a bit much when I had family and kids. So what you use, you just sort of, again, you have to sort of work out what's going to work for you. What I would say, though, is have you ever thought of enriching your time with the Lord? And that's really what, where this came from. Mm. I just find after years of doing the liturgy, maybe we can get on to this. I think yep, everyone's yep. got a liturgy for their quiet time. My liturgy was pray, read, pray. Hmm. And I just thought, no, actually, there's a way to enrich my time with the Lord that's more than that sort of bland pray, read, pray order in the liturgy. So that's what I've aimed to do is try and enrich it a bit with creeds, catechisms, and different kinds of prayers. So you're mixing up your prayers of adoration, confession, illumination, 
an intercession. Yeah. So does that answer your question, Nick? Yeah, it does. And I appreciate how they're organized where you can get creeds and confessions and Bible verse all packed together. Cause I think when it's kind of all a cart and no guide of a devotional, we're kind of like, okay, I think I'll try to walk through the Heidelberg catechism. And then uh, what, what verse do I read? And it's kind of like, and you have yeah. a set guide and it cuts through a lot of the meat and it gets right to it. Concise 15, 20 minutes really helpful that yeah that response was helpful i would ask too but before peter jumps into is like where did the idea of devotional daily devotional come from is it from scripture is it prescribed from scripture um you know that kind of stuff Mm. i write an introductory chapter in the book uh where i actually argue that you know, there is no explicit command in scripture, yeah. a command to go and spend time with the Lord every day. It, but it's there implicitly. Um, you know, Abraham taught his children, it says, the statutes of the Lord. Well, he, he must have gathered the kids in his tent at some point and, you know, explained <clears throat> the yeah. revelation he'd been, he'd received from God. The same with Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Well, he, he must have brought his house together during the week and said, here's the law of the Lord. We're going to serve God and him only. Ezekiel, the prophet, spent time alone with the Lord, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah. So you have these sort of implicit statements in scripture that that is what people did. In fact, I I was reading in uh, Genesis 24 the other day when Isaac, when Rebecca, the, the servant of Abraham, has gone to go and get a wife for Isaac and he's bringing Rebecca back. And it says Esau had gone out in the, Esau had been keeping the sheep. I think it is. And he had come in from his work and had gone out in the evening to meditate in the field. Hmm. And I had never seen that before. Hmm. And, you know, he he wasn't uh, sitting there with his legs crossed doing some yoga. (laughs) Uh, You know, his meditating would have been clearly on, God on the revelation his father had passed on to him. And so, you know, there's a man in the Old Testament who has a discipline of being in the evenings, going and spending time meditating outside. And and then in the New Testament, you have Jesus saying, when you pray, go to your room and close the door. And so Jesus envisages us having a private personal prayer life Mm -hmm. where it involves us being in a room alone. So and, you know, Jesus sets the example for us, doesn't he? he? He got up early and went and prayed with his father in a solitary place. So I think this idea of the quiet time has a biblical basis, but it's not based on an explicit, you know, thing. Yeah. Now, tied to that, what I would say is <clears throat> just as much as it, you know, it talks about people, you know, having a devotional time on their own or with the family, there's also <clears throat> the gathered church. And that we're not to um, give up meeting together. You know, we're to keep meeting together as the day approaches, the last day. And so there's that aspect as well. You know, Acts 2.42, they continued steadfastly, the Apostles' Doctrine, Fellowship, Lord's Supper, and the prayers. It's very interesting. And the prayers. And so the, the church was steadfast in praying together. And so what I always say to people is if your quiet time's feeling very dry the first thing you should ask yourself is not what's the silver bullet to fix my private prayer times the first thing we should be asking ourselves is 
am I meeting with God's people on the Lord's day and during the week to be encouraged, to be edified, Mm -hmm. spurred on? The illustration I use is it's a bit like taking a coal, a red hot coal in the fire. If it stays in the fire with the other coals around it, it stays nice and red and hot. But take that, take one coal out and just set it on the hearth away from the fire. And you you know what happens very quickly, it starts to lose its heat and mm-hmm. warmth very quickly because it's on its own. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing with our quiet times. If they become stale and dry, we need to ask ourselves, are we uh, meeting with God's people? And the reason I say that is in the history of the church, uh, right up into the Reformation and during the Reformation time, you know, people, Christians didn't have their own Bibles. They didn't have their yeah. own Greek New Testament <laughs> study Bible or a lot of thousands Bible. of years up until what, like the 1800s, yeah, 1900s, probably 1800s. Yeah. And if there were Bibles, you couldn't afford them and they were yeah. in Latin. <laughs> Not everyone could read Latin. Yeah. I'm talking about in the West. And so where did they get their inspiration for their devotional life? Where, where did they devote themselves to God. Yeah. Well, they went to church, not Lord's just day, yeah. Sunday, but every day. And so in the Anglican tradition, you have what's called the daily offices or That's the right. daily prayers. And so this is sort of where my inspiration came from was actually this kind of liturgy is what the Anglicans and other Christian traditions have been doing to uh, encourage the spiritual life of their people. Yeah. Maybe there's something to it. Yeah, there's, there's, there's definitely something to it. And um, I think that, um, uh, having, you know, being a church each day, the Anglicans do have this nice tradition. My yeah. son goes to a reformed Episcopal church school and he has matins and even song every day. Interesting. And it was when we first arrived, I didn't have any classes on some days when I would drop into school. So I would stay for the matin service. Hmm. And so I would sort of use that as my devotional time. Hmm. And uh, I find it really inspirational and very helpful um, in that regard. So, that's um, that's another way uh, to think about it as to um, is there a command in scripture? No, but clearly in scripture, people were doing it and yeah. it's very important, but it's not ever done in isolation from meeting with God's people. And back to the Reformation, you know, even during Luther's time and Calvin, people were going to church to get their inspiration for their devotional lives. It was really after that, when Bibles started to get printed and they became cheaper and the yep. literacy rates went up, that the quiet time, as we talk about it, sort mm-hmm. of really took off in a sense. And so that's um, that's where we get it. I think it's a great thing. If everyone has a Bible in their home, they can spend time with the Lord reading, praying. The previous generations would have still done it, but probably would have done it from memory and huh. meditation. But like Isaac he goes out to the field at night to meditate. I, I was thinking, did he have a scroll with him? Well, maybe actually there's the book of the genealogy of Adam. Uh, so maybe there were scrolls passed on, but maybe he's just meditating on what his father passed on of the oral tradition of God's revelation. So those are some of the things that I think um, the basis we have for doing quiet times. Yeah, and that kind of your your comment earlier uh, about liturgies, and uh, I know you've done another book on on, on liturgy that's uh, that's a little bit longer than this, and just kind of Reformation liturgies from from the past too, which is why I'm also asking too with this. You don't call this a devotional; you call it a liturgy for daily worship. So I'm assuming that's intentional. 
not calling this a devotional. So what's what's the what's the reason behind a liturgy? What's a liturgy doing? Even on the back cover, it says, "Is my prayer that the rhythms of a fixed liturgy." And I'm assuming some people who come from kind of broadly evangelicals like, wait, 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 wait. I don't want something fixed. I want this to come from like within me. I want to I want to have all these motions come within me and like change up every day. So what's 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 the benefit of a of a of a fixed liturgy? especially as we talk about devotionals and church life. Yeah, so the word liturgy, it's definitely deliberate. Um, I, uh, the, the word liturgy, people think, has come down to us from the Catholics or the Anglicans, but actually it's a Bible word, liturgia, yeah. a Greek word, used broadly for the whole of your life, Romans 12 to, uh, uh, you know, the whole of our lives is worship. To God, it's really the word that's used for worship or service. And then in Hebrews, it's used more narrowly of the service of the priests when the people gathered together for worship at the tabernacle or temple. So it can be used broadly of the whole of life, your worship, or it can be used narrowly of what you do when you come together with God's people. And in church history, the word has come to refer to in the narrow sense, the order of elements in a worship service. So, so what is the liturgy? What is the order of service? The other words used during the Reformation are the forms hmm. or the rites, R-I-T-E-S, or the orders or the offices, services. So that's what I mean by liturgy. Uh, so I put the word in because it's a Bible word, and uh, I want people to think that that actually we all have a liturgy. We all have an order of elements. So as I said earlier, my liturgy for my quiet time is, was prayer, Bible reading, prayer. Mm-hmm. And actually that's probably most people's liturgy. And <clears throat> so it's not whether you'll have a liturgy. It's just which liturgy you're going to have. Yeah. So <clears throat> maybe for your listeners who are sort of broadly evangelical, coming from free evangelical churches, I think it's helpful to think actually – Every church has a liturgy. It's just which liturgy it's going to have. And the same goes for our quiet times. So that's really what's behind uh, behind the word liturgy. But I think I've forgotten now what the other aspect of your question was, Pete. Yeah. So kind of the the history behind. So you've done a lot of work on liturgies before, like putting them together. How how has that influenced this book as well? Your your work on liturgies before and developing this liturgy. Kind of where, where does that come from? Um, kind of who, who were you looking to for inspiration, all that stuff? Yeah. So remember now your question was connected to a fixed liturgy and some people may sort of recoil at, at the, the thought of a fixed liturgy. So yeah, the idea of that came from doing the reformation liturgies, uh, these 26 liturgies. And what struck me was all of the reformers, generally speaking, all of the reformers wrote liturgies so once the gospel had been recovered the one of the first things to be reformed was church liturgies uh, and then school education and things like that but church liturgies and once they got it they wrote it down and it was published and in a sense it became fixed so calvin's liturgy was a fixed liturgy and when he died calvin said to beza theodore beza his successor he says change nothing of what I've set up in Geneva, don't hmm. change anything. You know, we're only sort of getting going. <laughs> and so he was talking about an avoid novelty. Hmm. All right, let me go from 
Calvin in Geneva to C.S. Lewis. <laughs> okay. If I yeah. may. C.S. Lewis has this great quote, and unfortunately I don't have it on me, but C.S. Lewis um, said that um, the fixed order, in fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull it up if that's all right, yeah. but it said the fixed order of a liturgy actually helps us to focus on God and not on the liturgy. His point was that novelty uh, is actually something that um, uh, novelty is something that um, uh, that distracts um, us from worship. If every service you go to, there's always something new, there's some new element, then you're sort of left not knowing what's coming next. And uh, you end up sort of being distracted by the liturgy and not actually worshiping God. So here's the quote by C.S. Lewis. Every service, he's talking about a church service, every service is a structure of acts and words through which we receive a sacrament or repent or supplicate or adore. And it enables us to do these things best, if you like, it works best when through long familiarity, we don't have to think about it. As long as you notice and have to count the steps, you're not yet dancing, but only learning to dance. A good shoe is a shoe you don't notice. Good reading becomes possible when you need not consciously think about eyes or light or print or spelling. The perfect church service would be the one we were almost unaware of. Our attention would have been on God. But every novelty in a church service prevents this. It fixes our attention on the service itself. And thinking about worship is a different thing from worshiping. Hmm. And I think that is a really profound insight yeah. by Lewis that, that actually, if, 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 first of all, there's no written down liturgy and you, you're just turned up at church and everything's on the screen in front and you don't know where it's going, you're, you're concentrated on what's next, huh. not who you're worshiping. Yeah. Whereas if the liturgy is fixed and it's written down on a bulletin or it's up on the screen and you know where you're going, well, now your mind can forget about the structure and focus on the content. It's a bit like the pipes, you know, that bring water to your through your tap. You know, the, the goal is to get the water. Mm -hmm. the, the structure and the pipes are important. They, they matter, but they've got to be fixed in place. And if they are, you don't really notice them because now you're concentrated on the water. Hmm. Uh, and the, But the pipes are just as important to get you the water. Don't know if that's a great illustration. <laughs> I like it, yeah. You know, you get the point. And so I think that's on the back of the book I talk about, I, I hope the rhythms of a fixed liturgy yeah. will remain with us for a lifetime. Hmm. And so what I'm trying to get at there is <clears throat> here's, here's one fix liturgy in this book give it a go see what you think and actually hopefully over time you'll find yourself more concentrated on god and his uh -huh. word during your quiet time than if you were just sort of randomly being led by yourself every day making up what you're going to do hmm. yeah that's and i think that's helpful too um for those yeah who either yeah, their devotional times maybe not special which i'm, I'm assuming that's probably a vast majority of those listening and the vast majority of those who do devotionals is in some sense, there's some structure that they, they kind of know what Bible verse they're reading, 
but in a sense, they're not really sure what to pray. Uh, mm-hmm. They're not really sure what to think. Um, they're not sure where this fits in doctrinally. Uh, they're not sure how to worship God through this. Uh, and, and I wonder too, if, if having this fixed liturgy, yes, it's fixed. And yes, it's something that we read and maybe not kind of on the front end. It doesn't feel quote unquote spiritual uh, when reading this, but like you're saying, it must, must form us in some sense where the kind of the repetition of this, it, it ingrains in us. And we mm. see this rhythm. We see this, we see this focus on God exclusively um, where we see, okay, I, I know where, I know where to place this doctrine. I, I know, um, I know how to worship God through this verse or whatever it may be um, versus that, like you said, that meandering, you don't really notice that you're meandering until you're meandering or you like you are in a fixed liturgy and you go to a church that does have a, a well thought out, well produced um, linked liturgy. We're like, Oh, this, this thing makes sense for this thing. I know what's coming next. I know why I'm doing this mm-hmm. versus not really, not really sure. And I think most of us may, some of us who are listening to this may, may go to a reformed church where they're used to a liturgy, but in terms of their kind of day-to-day life, they're not used to liturgy. They're not mm-hmm. used to structure. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm, I'm assuming it was probably also in your mind too. Like let's, let's take what we do on Sundays and kind of spread it throughout the week as well. Not just Sundays, but also during the week. Yeah, very much so. I, I talk about a mini liturgy during yeah. the week that doesn't replace your worship on the Lord's Day, but yeah. re- prepares you well oh, yeah. for worship on the Lord's Day. That was my other goal. And it was that I wanted to introduce elements mm-hmm. of what we do on a Sunday during the week so that when you do it on a Sunday, it's not, hopefully it's not repetitive, but you're actually ready. You're concentrated. Huh. You know what the creed is. You can say it you know, with your heart and soul, because you've already been meditating on it during the week. Um, so there was that aspect, I suppose, let me make a bridge to mental health, actually. <laughs> you know, mental health experts say that one of the best things for mental health, for a person's mental health, is a routine hmm. that they stick to and do every day. Yeah. That, that routines are actually one of the things that can keep us stable mentally psychologically Uh, whereas if every single day you're just doing something different different routine you're just you're just getting whiplashed you know and so i think if that's what mental health experts say about our mental health that we need a routine and it should be the same routine roughly Uh every day then how much more so by the great physician god uh uh, the great physician of our soul Uh to give us something that's a fixed order of worshiping him and that actually helps our spiritual stability and the state of our spiritual lives yeah another quote by brian chapel that's helped me over the years um in his book christ-centered worship he said structures tell stories and the structure of this liturgy tells the story of the gospel we begin with god calling us to worship so think about how how many of us begin our quiet times with prayer? But if you think about that, it's it's all in the wrong order. It's the wrong way around. We don't initiate worship. God no. initiates our worship by calling us to worship, by speaking to us. And you see it with Adam on Mount Eden, Noah on Mount Ararat, Abraham on Mount Moriah, Israel at Sinai, Solomon and Israel at, at Zion. It was God who spoke first to them and called them to his worship. And so worship begins with God speaking, not us speaking. But think about how many 
of our quiet times begin with us speaking to God. And yes. so here's an example of what I'm trying to do. Structures tell stories. I'm trying to tell the story of how God calls us to worship through his word. Hmm. And then the reading of the law is deliberate because we need to hear his law. Let it be a light to our lives, a mirror to our souls. Having seen ourselves in the light of his word, having seen his law as a mirror to our souls, we have to now confess our sin. Hmm. And so confession comes after that. And then assurance of pardon is the you know, the comfort in the gospel that we have. And then the creed is let's affirm the God of the gospel. We've just been assured of forgiveness from. Hmm. So there's a deliberate order. And the final thing I'd say on that is the intercession, intercessory prayers, if you notice, come after the scripture reading. Yep. And uh, it's interesting to me, even in how in reformed churches, how many churches put intercessory prayers before the sermon yep now when i was a pastor that's the liturgy that i sort of inherited i was the associate minister so i couldn't really change it but my brother who's a minister does the prayers after the sermon and he says it is it just completely changes the way he prays as a doing the pastoral prayer and i always remember feeling like doing the intercessory prayer before the sermon, like I hadn't really got going at leading worship. I, I uh. needed God to speak to me more so I could respond more. And in the Anglican tradition, the prayers, intercessory prayers are after the sermon. Now, I think it's been the Protestant reformed evangelical desire to recover the sermon mm-hmm. and make it the climax of the service. And in one sense, I agree with that, but I think the sermon is the center of the service, not so much the climax. And so if Hmm. the sermons moved a bit earlier in the service, the prayers can come after and, you know, you've got prayers, offerings, praise can be the sort of climax of the service as you, as we respond to God. And then obviously Lord's supper, when you do the Lord's supper. So that's also what I've done in Hmm. this liturgy. I've, tried to let the structure tell the story of sort of call response call response throughout the liturgy where god is the one who speaks to us and we respond to him hmm. yeah that's good um yeah i don't know nick if you have any other questions and i'll i'll uh i'll maybe end on this this last little question if, if nick has anything else he can he can close this out um but but with with this i'm thinking of those who <clears throat> Um, either a have never been to reform church, aren't used to more of the, the structured service <clears throat> and probably in their devotional time, um, not a, a structured devotional time. Although yes, everybody has a liturgy. So how, what are you, what are you kind of hoping those who have never, have never even seen a liturgy, uh, maybe buying this for the first time and, and see, okay, this is, this is different than what I'm used to. How, how are you hoping that this maybe helps form them and their, in their reading and their, their quiet time in the morning and the nighttime, whatever it may be, if they're not used to this kind of stuff. Um, let me give you a quote by uh, Winston Churchill, the great British Prime Minister who led Great Britain and the yep. United Kingdom through yep. the world, Second World War. Winston Churchill, uh, in the Second World War, Westminster Parliament buildings were bombed. And um, after the war, um, they were debating whether to modernize the chamber hmm. 
right, the debate chamber, which had the opposition opposite each other, and whether to make it more sort of oval, circular, and uh, you know, decorate it differently to the way it was pre-war. And Winston Churchill famously said, uh, first we shape our buildings, and then our buildings shape us." And if I could branch that into bridge that into liturgy, first we shape our liturgy and then our liturgy liturgy shapes us. Mm. And I, I think uh, what I'm hoping for is people will give it a go. Mm. So they'll <laughs> see it on the menu and they'll mm. think I've never tried ale, mm. a strong ale before. Let me try a strong ale. Tonight. <laughs> yeah. And they, they taste and they go, that's strong, that's strong stuff. That's, yeah, not sure, but then they go. You know what? That's left a nice aftertaste. Actually, yeah. At first it was a bit too strong, a bit too much, but actually it's left me very with a very nice aftertaste. And the next time they go back to the pub, they think, "Yeah, let me let me order that one again because huh. I like the aftertaste." And I'm hoping people will pick it, you know, buy it, pick it up, give it a go, and enjoy the aftertaste and you know, that they will then realize that the liturgy is actually shaping them and mm. changing their palate uh, in a good way. And it's a bit like junk food. You, you, you eat junk food and it's, it tastes amazing. And then you actually eat some proper food. And <laughs> yeah. You don't like it. And you, but you, if once you endure that, huh. you, you'll never go back to the junk yeah. food. Like I, I couldn't now go back to doing a quiet time. That's just huh. a quick prayer, Bible reading and fire off some petitions. I, I mean, if nothing else, this book has helped really revive, <laughs> rejuvenate, and give me a really renewed discipline huh. in my quiet times. My my quiet times have not been better since huh. I've I've been using this book. So, you know, if no one ever buys it, I, you know, <laughs> I'm, it was I'm, good I'm for the author it. himself. I'm enjoying it. <laughs> if you're allowed <laughs> exactly. to talk about your own book like that, but no, yeah. I like it. No, that's that's. Uh, yeah, I think it's it's helpful to know. I think <clears throat> for a lot of people who are who are looking into to buying books is the there's a person who wrote this book really want to write this book or are they writing it for mm. a contract or whatever it may be to kind of get their name out there but no it's it's written by somebody who's using this and is saying this is this is helpful um yeah that's 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 really helpful stuff i don't know nick if there's anything else you want to want to add on top of this yeah yeah it's just a oh really really good uh encouragement and guide of how to spend our quiet time uh in relationship with God outside of uh, Sunday at church. So like, obviously throughout the week, we're called to, to uh, talk to him, pray to him. And uh, I think most of us would, you know, pray uh, outside of church and it gives an extra fixed structure to help the prayer life as well. Um, versus like you're saying, just winging it and just uh, it's, it's giving some sort of substance and meat in, in mm. defeating your prayer life, which I really am looking forward to doing um, and using this book just to help my uh, growth in the faith. Mm. Let, let me read two prayers. This yeah, might do it. Wet people's appetite for the eel. Yeah, there's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I like it's, that uh, analogy. <laughs> uh, as, so as, as the listeners are, are hearing this, the waiter is coming right next to you. He's presenting <laughs> you with the eel. He's placing right. it on your table and he's about to, he's about to feed you. So this is a on day one, the prayer for confession of sins taken from the Book of Common Prayer, 1552. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, 
and from whom no secrets are hidden. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, so that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, it's a beautiful prayer of confession used by Cranmer as mm. people prepare to come to the Lord's Supper mm -hmm. in the Book of Common Prayer. Uh, but I find prayers like that help me meditate more on confessing yeah. my sin. And then even in a prayer like that, I will, I'll add to it myself here and there. But it, it's at least giving me a, a, a framework and a, a structure to pray. Yeah. Uh, the other prayer is day one prayer for illumination. It's taken from the Middleburg Liturgy. Almighty God and most merciful Father, we humbly submit ourselves and fall down before your majesty, asking you from the bottom of our hearts that this seed of your word now sown among us may take such deep root that neither the burning heat of persecution cause it to wither, nor the thorny cares of this life choke it, but that a seed sown in good ground, it may bring forth 30, 60, or a hundredfold, as your heavenly wisdom has appointed. Amen. Mm. So I hope those two prayers. Yeah, give, we're only uh, missing, our, our listeners only missing one thing when they buy this book. The accent? The accent. <laughs> well, there is an audiobook for 31 ah. days that you can get from Crossway. Did you, did you voice the audiobook? I did. I oh. did, yeah. Yeah. So what they have to do is they have to go buy this physical copy and then go buy the audiobook and you can have yeah. the author speak it to you. There you go. With it being Be Thou My Vision, which is an ancient Irish hymn from about the seventh yeah. century yeah. Uh, by uh, an old Irish monk, Dallin, I think was his first name, Dallin Fergal. Um, it, uh, I think they thought it had to be an Irish accent. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, no, that's... That's great. And I'm, um, I mean, I love this. I mean, I'll, I, I have, I've been using the McShane Bible plan myself mm. for the past, I think nine years mm. and I haven't moved from it since. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think this is the first change I'll make is using the, using your, uh, your liturgy. I was about to say devotional, I was like, but it's a liturgy. It's a, mm. uh, it's a good liturgy. I, I'm going to use, I know Nick is going to use it. My wife's going to use it. Uh, so you, you at least got four people using this right now. There you go. That's good. There's five, there's five of us. Um, the other thing is what's nice. I find is, you know, if you miss a day, you know, it, the, the days are 31 days. So if you miss the 18th of the month, you just start on the 19th of the month, you know, like you don't need to beat yourself up about it. Uh, yeah. It, it's sort of designed to be used like that. And then, you know, I've used it for family worship, not during the week, but on a Sunday night, hmm. My wife and Jack, uh, Jackie and Ben will close the Lord's Day. We'll put the two youngest kids to bed and we'll close the Lord's Day by doing, you know, whatever mm. day of the month it is as our evening sort of close of the Lord's Day. And we don't do the whole liturgy. I drop the creed. I drop the catechism question, but we'll do adoration, call the worship adoration, yeah. reading of the law, confession, and then I'll do prayer of illumination. And then I'll we'll discuss the sermon that day as a family, and then we end with praying for each other and do the prayer of intercession. So there are ways that couples yeah. and families can adapt it to be used, you know, on a Lord's Day or something like that. Yeah, and yeah, they'll find the rhythm, like you say, uh, in the back of the book. We we talked about in this, but 
it'll just be, uh, I'm hoping a helpful companion at um, both the reading, but the, as you're, as you're reading this, I mean, over the months and years and, and whatever it may be, you'll be formed by this. You'll be formed by the prayers. You'll be formed by the catechisms. You're hearing this on a consistent basis. Uh, just like we do in church where we have four year olds next to me who are belting out the Nicene Creed from memory because they've been in church service for three years since infancy, mm-hmm. four year olds mm-hmm. who can say it better than I know 50 year olds at other churches yeah. Um, and so we'll be just be formed by this over and over and over and over again. So we'll, we will, we will think God's thoughts. We will we'll be reading God's word. Um, it's going to be a really helpful uh, formation tool for those who are reading this. Even if let's say they forget their book when they go on vacation and if they've been doing this for so long that they're going to start, okay, we, let's, start out, let's start out with their prayer vacation. Let's start with the call to worship. Let's get into the law. Um, so it'll, it'll help teach them by doing it too. Hmm. Yeah. It's back to that Winston Churchill quote, isn't it? First, we shape our buildings, and then our buildings shape us. And uh, I'm hoping that will be the case with this liturgy. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks for, thanks for coming on. Again, uh, those who are listening, are, this is two days and also in 48 hours, they get to hear two <laughs> times of, of Dr. Gibson. Uh, but we haven't said this before in another episode, but we're starting a new. So on Monday of this week, the people are listening to us. We started a new season on the Reformed Church. And so it's apropos to talk about the Reformed liturgies and and do this on a, on a week-to-week basis. And we haven't talked about it also that we'll, we'll be doing a giveaway. Uh, so if you guys follow our Twitter at Guilt Grace Pod, if you guys go to our Twitter, we have a giveaway from this on Tuesday. So Tuesday after this comes out, this comes out on Saturday. On Tuesday, it'll come out. We have a, a free free giveaway of this book, courtesy of Crossway. So if you guys are like, I don't want to buy it. <laughs> you can you can win it. And if you don't win it, go buy it. <laughs> But thanks for thanks for coming on again. It's it's been a pleasure, and and hopefully, hopefully as you as you write more and as we can we can continue talking, and it's uh, it'll be a, a great help for us and for those listening. So thanks for coming on. Thanks, Pete and Nick, for having me on. It's been great. God bless. Hey, this is Peter Bell. If you are looking for a church that preaches the gospel weekly and enjoys close fellowship in the Orange County area. Come join our growing core group at Santa Ana Reformed as we prayerfully work towards planting United Reformed Church under the oversight of Reverend Danny Hyde and Oceanside United Reformed Church. We meet Sunday starting February 20th at 4 p.m. for Bible study with a fellowship dinner to follow at 5.30 p.m. Email us at SantaAnnaReformed at gmail.com or go to the top of our show notes for a link to be placed on our update list. I hope to see you there. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed that episode of our podcast, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude. And we, as we've said before, we are bridging the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. So we would like to make sure this is enjoyed by others around the world. And how to best do that is rate and review us on iTunes. Yeah, and you after you write a review or instead of writing a review or doing everything all in once, retweeting us on Twitter, liking us on Twitter, liking us on Instagram, following us on both of those platforms, because that actually puts in front of people's physical face this podcast, these guests, and most importantly, the gospel, the doctrines uh, that these guests are, are bringing in front of you guys. So please do that. It helps get in front of more people. Amen. And hopefully you guys are part of a local church and you're tithing. And uh, 
after that, after tithing, if you have any means left over, please consider donating to us to make sure our bridge is well paved and maintained and strong and sturdy. As again, we bridge the gap to reform Christian <laughs> theology. Exactly. The yeah. And you guys can find that link on Anchor, our official Anchor website. If you just go on um, our social media links, it'll it'll link you to that website. It's also at the bottom of these this podcast show notes. If you're on this podcast, this specific episode, scroll all the way to the bottom of that show notes and you guys will find a link for this for three different options of donating. So we hope you guys can help us bridge the gap, pay for shipping, get nicer stuff, all for the focus of spreading the gospel further. Yep. All for the kingdom of God. Thanks so much, guys. We'll see you guys next time. <laughs>